everyone, to my third show on Superstar Wednesday. You're listening to Authors on the Air, and I'm your host, Pam Stack. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I want to remind you that during the week, usually traditional publishers release new books on Tuesdays. So if you're interested in knowing whose books are out, you can look on my my Facebook page, or you can go to New In Books, and you will learn everyone who's out there who's got new books. Um, But first, I want to tell you there are a couple books that I want to make mention of. Alan Eskin's books released this week. It's a magnificent book he was on last week. Chris Orcutt's new book, A Study in Crimson, is out. Janet Ivanovich, a a favorite for everyone, um, uh, Look Alive 25 is out. The Girl in the Hotel by Jeffrey French is out. Leanne Moriarty released Nine Perfect Strangers. And my friend, uh, Alifair Burke, who writes with the wonderful Mary Higgins Clark, have their new book released, You Don't Own Me. Um, That brings me to my guest tonight. Barbara Stark is a fabulous writer. She wrote a, a novel called Hard Cider. That is one of them. It is a terrific look at, at, um, at a, just one individual character who's affected by those around her. Her first book is Even in Darkness. It was a super success. I'm thrilled to welcome Barbara Stark Nemen to the show. Hi, Barbara. Welcome to All on the Air. Hi. Hi, Pam. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you. I'm thrilled that you're here. How are you this fine day? I am very well. It is. Just to let listeners know, I'm in Michigan, and we've had our first snow with more to come, and I'm one of those unusual people who actually loves winter, so I'm a happy camper. Well, you know, when we were talking um, in the green room, I mentioned to you that um, that I live in, in southwest Florida, I I did not tell you, but I think you know this because you have a connection to my my hometown right now. Um, uh, when it gets winter in here in Southwest Florida, which means it goes to maybe 50 degrees, 40 if we're lucky, then we wear long sleeve t-shirts instead of short sleeve t-shirts, and instead of wearing flip flops, we wear that's, right right. But well, I have to go I'm very familiar with cold. that. Yes, you are. You I'm were sorry, telling. Go me. ahead. No, no. You. Yes, your show. yes I'm you familiar it. with that because my son was in the United States Coast Guard at Fort Myers Beach, so I had the occasion to visit your area of Florida quite often, and loved I loved it. It's very nice. Uh, I have to tell you, I'm very blessed to live in a beautiful area with Sanibel Island and Captiva, not too far from me, the, the barrier islands. And then a little bit north, there's Mount Lachey and, and other barrier islands. It's a lovely, lovely place to live. I'm very lucky. And there's quite a large writing community here, too. So nothing wrong with that. Indeed. I agree. So let's talk about you. You mentioned that you have retired from your job. You were a speech therapist for children who were profoundly deaf. How did you go into yeah. that work? Tell me about getting started there. So 
I guess I've always been a storyteller. I credit my grandfather, who was an appellate attorney in Germany um, and had to leave at World War II because of the Nazis. And he came to this country and worked in a paper box factory because he didn't speak English well. But he was a master storyteller, and he definitely trained his grandchildren to be great storytellers. Uh, We got a better dessert if we told a great story. Um, And I guess that sense of the fact that people have great stories stuck with me. Um, I started my teaching career as an English teacher and then realized that there were those kids who couldn't produce language either in a verbal or a written form or they couldn't read well and I became fascinated with what it is that people can't do in order to get those stories out there so I became a speech pathologist and then I kind of fell into a job working in a hearing impaired program and I learned American Sign Language and Again, it it was a different language and a different way of storytelling because it's visual. um, And this is a very long answer to your question, but it's it's important to me because to me I see this as a seamless extension of a fascination with stories, a fascination with how people tell them. And I always loved to write and I always loved to read and when I retired my absolute first item on my bucket list was to write a novel and I had a great story to start with um, with Even in Darkness it was a family story it was about my great aunt and so I did that and realized this is all part of my same fascination and my same belief that everybody has a story and those are those stories need to need to be told regardless of what your skill set is. That it's important. People's stories are important. They are indeed. <laughs> and um, you know, I'm glad that you know you you. I'm glad that you answered the way you did because I have so many questions now. One of them is kind of going back to your time as a speech pathologist. And you're right. It it if a child can't read, he misses out on storytelling. Never mind what it does to his life, how 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 it slows down learning and everything else. <clears throat> how do children who are hearing impaired read? So the biggest problem is delivering language. You know, we we all we, nobody pays attention to this because it's it's organic. It's natural. You hear language, and therefore you learn how to produce it, and you practice mm-hmm. it, and people reward you for it, and that's how you learn it. It's a very natural, organic process. Deaf yes. kids don't hear, so you have to deliver, intentionally deliver that information in a different way. So, you know, without getting into the politics of people who believe that sign language is the best idea versus people who believe that amplification and cochlear implants and so forth. Somehow my job as a speech pathologist was deliver the language and help kids to produce language in whatever modality, whether it was sign language, whether it was speech, 
Because once you can do that, then that secondary function of overlaying it on your language process of reading and writing, then you can deliver that. It's a, it's a, it's a two-step process. And it was, to me, it's all very fascinating, <laughs> but maybe not to everybody. But that, well, it sounds that fascinating was a to really me. important part. Be, see, I'm thinking, what am I willing to give up of the senses that make me, uh, you know, that keep me engaged in the world? Um, I could probably, you know, give up talking, although <laughs> unlikely. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. I could not give up my vision. It's the one thing that that uh, scares me because I have such bad vision anyway, um, and it scares me. I'm I'm constantly aware of sight because I read so much. I'm so interested visually in the world and with people. I love to watch people while they're talking. So I could. I don't even know if I could give up hearing, even though I can read, because I like the written word and the spoken word so much. Uh, there are times people, that I'm sorry. Go, go ahead. right ahead. No, no, you go right ahead. I'm, a, I'm an inter, I'm an interrupter. I apologize. This is not That's good okay, for radio, but I'm an. That's fine. I'm an interrupter, but people always. I mean, the vast majority of people, if you ask them that question, what would you give up? They would say hearing, not vision. But the truth of the matter is that we are connected through language. It's true. And if you can't have, if you can't, and and certainly for a child, for a child, a child can't learn language easily without hearing. Unless I don't, yeah. I cannot imagine. being in a world of yeah. of the non-hearing, it's 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 a pain I can't even think about. Um, hearing connects us to everything in the world, to to it safety, does, to danger. Most people, yep, exactly, exactly to safety, danger, and communication. But most yes. people would say they'd rather give up hearing than vision, and. To, I mean, I understand that. I happen to be a very auditory person, not, but I, I mean, obviously nobody wants to give up anything, but um, right. it's, it's, it's a, it's a amazing question. And fortunately, most of us don't have to worry about this. So we don't this is true. think about it a lot. I, no. You know, Barbara, yeah. it occurs to me that, um, that, we should do a show on the senses and how they affect our lives. And, and I'm thinking, you know, as you're, like I said, you you told your story and thought it was too long, but to me it just brings up a priceless amount of information because even if I could not see, um, I could listen to audiobooks, which I don't, by the way. Um, but I know I, I've heard that, and we'll have another conversation about how wonderful audiobooks are, but not today. Yeah. Well, we're, we're, I'm actually doing a show on 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 audiobooks coming up, uh, so it should be very interesting. I um, I oh. have a tendency to um, my mind drifts if I'm unless I'm 
intently concentrating on what is being said. So uh, my <laughs> mind, you know, goes other places. And, and so people say, well, I'll clean my house and I have my audio book on. And I'm like, my God, I'm intent on getting this, you know, the stains out of the carpet. I'm not listening to an audio book, but, but you're right. That's another conversation. Um, so I want to still stay on this subject about the hearing impaired. Do, do children who are hearing impaired or people, individuals who are hearing impaired, if they've never had hearing, do they connect with emotions in a different way? You know, there's been a lot of study about that, and I would have to say they don't connect emotionally in in such a different way. But the way in which we code the world yes. with our senses affects our emotion. In other words, the basic emotional responses that everybody has, deaf people have as well. But the way in which the world affects those emotions or, or, or provides context for those emotions is different. And so it affects more, more than emotions, it affects your perception. And yes. so, for example, deaf people are extremely conscious of other people's body language. So all of us notice everybody else's body language even if we don't notice it consciously we notice it unconsciously right, right. deaf people will notice it very it, it it's like more of a it's a hyper awareness it, it, it is is a greater awareness so it changes sure. perceptual um sort of the kind of percentages of you know the of the perceptual world are different, but you I, know, deaf people are sitting, people, and they have a big. I exactly. Well, I'm sitting here, you know, on on my chair that I generally sit in when I'm on the radio, and my cat is next to me purring, and that's one of the Aww. sounds I love the best. She's she's like a little purr machine. I can just touch her, and she starts purring and doesn't stop. She doesn't stop for anything, and I'm thinking. When I sleep at night and she lays next to me and I hear her purring, almost a snore, it's so loud, that um, I, I was thinking as you were talking how much I would miss that if I lost my hearing because it's such an important sound. But, but you would yes. feel vibrations of that and, yes, that's and true. the warmth of that as she cuddled up with you and that would provide that same connection but it would yeah. again it would sensorily be in a different way a different so way I have yeah a sister, i have a sister who has limited vision and i have learned through her to appreciate the ways in which she is more sensitive to other senses because her vision is so limited so i i read my books to her as audiobooks and I'm behind on hard cider, but I'm getting there. So, <laughs> see, she needs audiobooks, Pam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. Yeah, absolutely, and absolutely. And I read well, them for her. 
Well, I'm I'm thrilled at that. You know, uh, when my mom became too ill to actually hold a book and all, we'd get um, books on tape for her from the library. They would just send them in the mail. Right. So, you know, what genre do you like and everything. And that stimulated her mind quite a bit because she really loved to read. So um, I, I understand. It's so interesting what you what you do, and we could have a whole other conversation. But I want to talk about you because – your okay. book, Hard Cider, the new book, is really interesting. It's very different from your award-winning first book, which was considered a historical, because you t- talked a lot about family history in that. Let's talk about this book. Can you get? Will you please give us the elevator pitch on Abby Rose Stone's book? Okay, so. Cider is a book about a woman who has a dream. She's a woman of a certain age who has raised a complicated family. She's experienced infertility. She's in it forever in a long-term marriage, but it's not a perfect marriage. And she has had a career. Her husband's had a big career. She's raised this family that they've put together with some challenges and now she thinks it's her turn. So she wants to create a hard apple cider business along the shores of the Lake Michigan dunes and lake that she loves. And then a young woman shows up with a shocking secret that threatens to derail Abby Rose's plans as well as her sense of who her family really is after Abby has worked so hard to create this family. And she has to figure out how she's going to cope with that. So that's what the story's about. Um, You know, I believe that if we're fortunate enough to live long enough, most of us find that life presents us with twists and turns that are unexpected maybe unwelcome, and I'm always interested in exploring how people respond to that human condition. And that is what prompted me to write the story. It's a lovely book. I I appreciated it because as a, as a woman of a certain age uh, and, and having adult children and grandkids and um, – and having an interesting family dynamic myself, um, I, I felt Don't every bit, all. yes, yes. And so I was really, I loved that this was, I felt like it was written for me. I, Aww, I, I hope, I I hope that. that doesn't sound selfish, but it really is how I feel. Um, it's, it was just a lot of wonderful writing and, um, I, I appreciated that book very, very much. So let me thank you. Well, thank you. That's what any author on the face of this earth wants to hear. <laughs> well, I'm glad. Now, you, um, this is your second book. Your first book won lots of accolades uh, for, as I said, being a historical fiction. And um, it was a, a reader's favorite. 
And so that's for literary fiction, which is wonderful. So you won two Indie Fab Prizes, the gold for literary fiction and a bronze for historical. And then you are, you are a reader's favorite gold for literary. Congratulations on that. Um, are you working well, currently you. on another book, Barbara? I am. Um, I'm going back to historical fiction. Um, I be, this. 14-year-old embroideress from early 17th century Inquisition-era Portugal showed up in my brain and wouldn't leave, and so I'm writing a book about her. She's got to find her way to Germany to escape the Inquisition, and she's going to have kind of a spirit guide in the form of an older woman from Spain. So, yeah. Talk about, once again, departing from the genre and everything else, which you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to stay in your genre as an author. You're supposed to work from the success of one book or whatever, you know, the readership. But, you know, as we said earlier, I'm a little too old to worry about what you're supposed to do. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I absolutely agree with you. That's that's horse pucky. I think you write what you want to write, and um, you yep. know, hopefully, you're you're great at writing it. So, and if it makes you happy, I, I think that if you're not writing something you love, then you can't create something somebody else will love. That is just that is my feeling exactly about it. Exactly right. Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I you know, agree a hundred percent. I mentioned to you that I'm not, I'm not a writer. I, I'm very blessed to have some amazing award-winning writers in the network, uh, uh, as I am the producer of. But, but truthfully, I, if I didn't, I'm no one is going to talk me into reading horror stories. I'm just not going to do it. And the yep, hosts of our horror series are wonderful. They're a cult favorite. They are rapidly successful. People love them, and and I mean love them, but. <clears throat> Quite honestly, I'm not, I mean, I'm not reading any of it. And they tease me all the time about that. So, you know, I, you have to write what you love and you have to read what you love, too. Um, can you – so true. you have another – you have a, a histor- another historical fiction that's coming from you. It sounds lovely. You may change my mind about reading historical novels, which is something I generally don't do. Well – I won't read historical. I don't read historicals that are like back in the 1700s. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I just you, not my thing. I challenge you. To, I challenge you to read even in darkness, and then let me know what you think. <laughs> okay, because I'm gonna I, do that. It's it's literary fiction, but it's also historical fiction. So okay. maybe it will it will stretch. There you go. There, it's it, it's possible. So let me ask you a few questions because I've been selfish and, and not a very good host getting the word out on you. So I want to ask you um, a little bit about you. What do you do when you're not writing? What do you enjoy doing? So I'm a fiber artist and a photographer and a swimmer. And even though I've had two hip replacements, I still run. Um, I, hobble is probably you. a better 
version sure. of what I do. And I'm a grandma. I'm lucky enough to have four grandchildren. And wow, I've got three sons, and we're a close family. And so I do a lot of family time. I like to cook, but I don't like to cook every day. So yeah. I'm trying to, my husband just retired, so I'm hoping that he's going to pick up and he's been doing that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got a wide range of interests. Um, you're, you're exceptionally creative, Barbara. You are very, very well, creative you. with your craft, your fiber art and photography and all. And that's lovely. Um, it just, it seems natural that you're channeling your other creativity into the written word. I will say and cooking, that cook, cooking is creative too. Yes, it is. Well, it is. It's not my. No it's not no my strongest it's, suit. But it's no one says it's this not is my strongest be easy. suit. Yeah. Right. Right. No. But I struggled to to figure out how to fit Instagram into my life. But since <laughs> I am a photographer, I've done it. I have just crossed over. So well, let's have you give your Instagram address then for other photographers and people who love photography. Where can we find your photography? It's Bian Stark, B-A-A-N-S-P-A-R-K. And, yes, those of us of a certain age, I am a Barbara Ann. Um, there you go. And Yes, and people can find me on Facebook um, at BarbaraStarkMeeman.com. And on Twitter, um, I'm kind of most active on Facebook and Twitter, but I'm growing on Instagram, and I do pay a lot of attention to my website. So Lovely. You know, it has just, I feel like I've known you forever. Uh, and if not, I want Aww. to know you forever. I, I want to know you. I want to be friends with you. Well, there you go. You are an interesting person, so I'm I'm thrilled that we have a, had had a chance to talk. Um, and thank you so very very much for being with me. Will you come back again, maybe after the holidays? I sure will. Anytime. This has and been a how about? Pleasure. Thank you. And how about if I even like double down on that offer and say, will you come back and guest host with a writer that you like? And you be the host, and I'll be your tech. Ooh, that yeah. I love. Okay, that so, I would love to do. Yeah, you. Okay, you're on. <laughs> We're gonna be emailing about that, and I'm putting your little tootsies to the fire on that, so you can. We'll go ahead and set that up. It's called an in conversation interview, and they're tons of fun to do. And all you have to do is just call the number like you did tonight, and I'll and I'll hook you up with your guest, whoever that may be. Well, I'm gonna choose one of my she writes sisters because I'm gonna okay. put a little plug in here for she writes press, which is my publisher. Okay. And if there's a wonderful sisterhood of authors, and I will choose one to come on with me. And I think that you should. will be very fun. Yes. There you go. Barbara, I wish you and your lovely, big, fun, creative, crazy family a wonderful Thanksgiving and a happy holiday season. And you and I are going to be speaking in the new year, if not before that, at least by email, I hope. Oh. Thank you so much, Pam. I really appreciate this. 
thank you so much for being with me tonight. Um, one more time, your your we, your website, which can direct everybody to where they need to go on social media, is is barbarastarkneeman dot com. It's b a r b a r a s t a r k n e m o n dot com. There we go. And that's my show for tonight, friends. Wasn't Barbara magnificent? We have so many other things to talk about. Um, we're going to talk. I think I'm going to put together a podcast because of Barbara and invite her on, on the ways people in, uh, learn to ingest books. I think it would be interesting to talk about that and all the other senses. Barbara Stark Neiman, thank you. And, I, and I'm delighted that you were on. Thank you so much, Pam. I'm, You're welcome. I'm and that's too. That's the end of my show for today. I will see you all next week. I hope you have a great reading week and a wonderful weekend. Thank you, Mom and Dad. Bye-bye.